Live. Live. Live from to New York. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me with freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Reaching New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. You celebrate happy holidays. We're in our last sports show of 2021 here. We're getting ready for the college football playoff. The semifinal games kick off this Friday. We have Alabama taking on Cincinnati in the early game. And the late game, obviously, Georgia-Michigan. I'll be joined in just a bit by Bill Bender of the Sporting News. We had a chat prior to Christmas about this college football playoff. So there is no mention of the COVID stuff. So you be aware of that when we get to that conversation. That's coming up in just a bit. We're also going to do our week 17 NFL picks. I had a good week. Went two and one on the week. And we joined by a friend of mine, Joey Castellano, a big Minnesota Vikings guy. So we'll talk about his Vikings. Get ready to do the picks. Make sure you're locked in the end of the show for six two-minute drill where I'm going to talk about the NHL pulling out of the Olympics. It sucks, but it makes sense. Talk about why at the end of the show. But we'll get it all started here with our opening tip. We're going to be joined by... Good friend of mine, Nick Frieda. You know him from the Sky Guys. And we are going to talk about his beloved New York football giants who continue to make really bad decisions right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast on a football Sunday, recapping the Giants situation here. Joining me today, a Giants fan himself, one of the Sky Guys. We're going to talk some Book of Boba Fett later this week with Nick Fred is here. And now, Nick, how are you? Horrible. This is, this, is, this is a joke at this point. And I don't care about today's game at all. We'll get into everything. I really don't care about the game at all. I, mean, I prefer they lose with the draft pick at this point. But, like, I'm not surprised they lost. I'm not surprised they got crushed. But this is like, this has reached a point where this is literally unbelievable and we're the laughing stock in the league. Yeah, and to reset here, I mean, we're recording on Sunday night of week 16. The Giants lost to the Eagles today, 34 to 10. The Jet game is on the same time as I was watching that game. And I was a lot more entertained than you were, I'm sure. But you give me the, the uh, summary here, the quick two-minute version of what happened in that game. Here's the summary, and it's clear as day. And anyone who was watching the game could tell. Play, the Giants played a decent first half, especially defensively. They looked okay, and the Eagles weren't struggling to move the ball. You go into halftime, you know for a fact the Eagles are making halftime adjustments, and what's happening in the Giant locker room? Nothing, because their coach knows nothing about football. The Eagles come out in the second half and destroyed them. Went on a 31 to nothing run, and the last time the Giants got a you know, garbage-time touchdown to make it 34-10 at the end, they do nothing. I'm convinced in that locker room, Joe Judge is just saying, hit harder or move faster. He has no clue what he's talking about. He knows nothing about football. It, it's, this is what people's fear was when he started as a coach last year, but at least they liked the fire. Now it's shown he knows nothing about football and just yells at people. This is a joke. Oh, it is a joke. And I mean, you watch the, g- the games you watch. I mean, they're not even entertaining games. Like they're boring as all hell. Yeah, they have uh, their defense is bad. It's not horrible, but it's bad. It's not the Jets defense. Offense, no, their offense is the worst in the league. There's no doubt about it. 
They can't move the ball at all. They have this running back who's supposed to be the best in the league. Mike, let me ask you a question. Do you think Saquon Barkley is the worst starting running back in the NFC East? Because I do. In the I don't end. even think it's close. I think right now he is. Yeah, I don't even think it's close. You pick this guy second overall. He's not even. The, he's the worst in your division. You go through the last time. I'm not gonna. We don't have time to go through all 32 running backs or whatever it is. I know some teams have two. He's not even in the top half anymore. He's one of the worst running backs. One of the not worst, as in like top three, whatever. He's in the bottom half of running backs in the league. He took him second overall. Yeah, Saquon today. He has no help. He has no line. Their weapons that they signed are a joke. The 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 um. What is it? Lane Johnson has more touchdowns than Kenny Galladay this year. <laughs> this is like, this is, un- this is literally reached rock bottom, and that's not the worst of it. The worst of it has nothing to do with how bad they are now. Yeah, I'll also throw in here, Connie McDermott also has more touchdowns than Kenny Galladay. Yeah, this is, it's really, it's crazy. It's unreal. He's done absolutely nothing, and it's not all his fault. They have no quarterback. They have no line. They have no other weapons. They have, they have no running game. Their defense is below average to bad it's not the worst in the league but they have like you know it, it's a bad defense they do have a fantastic kicker you can't take anything away from him he's been unbelievable this year and he gets a lot more opportunities than he should considering who the coach is yeah and i'll add some other things in here so notice here saquon barkley today 15 carries or 32 yards an average of 2.1 a carry and the quarterback duo is dreadful today i think jake from started he got benched Six of seventeen for twenty-five yards seems impossible. I, and he threw does. a pick. Yeah, like, that's it a, really seems that's really hard. Yeah, you you see a lot of times where sometimes a team will do like a couple a uh, couple of reverse passes with the receiver. Yeah, and they do they get more yards in one play than Fromm got in seventeen attempts. He was sacked twice, so what nineteen dropbacks? Yeah, he threw he threw a pick. He dropped back the pass nineteen times and he only had twenty-five yards. He averaged one point five yard per attempt. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, that's not good. It's pathetic. And Glenn wasn't even really much better. A little better, sure. But yeah, we'll, we'll throw all that in there here. And to make matters worse, there was the big breaking news of the morning, which came out well before the giant game played. The report from ESPN's Adam Schefter that Joe Judge is coming back next year. He's We could throw a parade. John Marius found the next Bill Belichick. He and his record right now of, how is he now? He's 10 and 21 in two years of the giant head coach. He is coming back next year. Yeah, see, this is where I completely like lost it this morning because besides the fact that I mentioned earlier, he knows nothing about football, which we all know. That's not even the biggest problem. The biggest problem is you're letting Gettleman step down. You're not firing him, which is another joke. You also said you're bringing Jones back, which is the least of the jokes, I think, but still a joke because I really doubt they'd be able to find a quarterback between now and next year. I still think, you know, he's not good and he's not the future in the franchise, but I think it's more important to find other spots right now. And, you know, you're not a quarterback away. Let's say they got Russell Wilson. They're still going to win six games next year. And you can see what Wilson does at Seattle now and no help around him. So I, I'm not furious about the Jones comeback thing. I think it's just another year before they find the quarterback. But you're letting Gettleman step down You've already said, which is another joke, that they're going to replace Gettleman with Abrams, who's his assistant, which means more of the same. Most likely. We haven't confirmed that yet. Yeah. Yeah, But now, no, now you're confirming it because you're telling me the judge is coming back and Jones is coming back. So you're telling us the GM either has to do exactly what I say or has to be a part of this organization already because they're already making the decisions that he's going to make. So this is back to square one. 
you literally your whole rebuild is completely ruined. This is another three to four years of being terrible. Yeah, and let's touch on these things one at a time here with the Joe Judge thing. The thing that frustrates me most is if I was a Giants fan, is like the fact that he's like so arrogant with the media about how like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm seeing progress off the field. And then he's being extremely conservative in games where like today in the game, he's punting like uh, like in situations where he should be going for it. And then he's calling timeouts down 24 points in the second half to try and like basically cut the margin down, make his loss look look better. I mean, what are we doing here? It's a joke. It's a complete joke. And it's, it all stems from John Mara, I think. I mean, we know it has to do with John Mara, but I don't know if Steve Tisch is involved also. they A lot of people t- seem to forget that they both own the team. It's not all Mara. I don't know. From what I've heard, though, last year, Tisch was a big, you know, get rid of Gettleman guy, and Mara was the one who wanted to bring him back. I, so that's all I really have to go off of. So I'm going to give Tisch the pass for now. But it all stems from Mara. It's the giant way is we don't lose a game by getting crushed. We'll fight till there's one second left or zero seconds left on that clock. And it's a joke. They would rather not score touchdowns, but everyone give each other high fives than win games. You yeah. saw what Stefan Diggs did today when he's yelling at the Patriots crowd. F-U, that F-U, would never fly yeah. for the yeah. Giants. That yeah. would never fly. The Giants would rather not score touchdowns and lose. Yeah. It's absurd. It's a complete joke. The Giant way passed many years ago. You know, they had some great runs like they did when, you know, at this point now it's 15 years ago and 10 years ago or 14 years ago and 10 years ago, which is, you know, still great. But since then, they've been joke. A complete joke they won't change their ways they're stuck in their ways of thinking it's going to turn around and it's not and they still don't realize it. i thought this was the year they'd realize it because you said on this very show that the giants would have an under i believe it was seven or seven and a half what was it it was under seven i said they are not going over that total yeah and you were right and i agreed with what at the time i agreed with you and you ended up being right i didn't say this on the show or anything i just I agreed with you. I thought they'd be under. And I thought this would be the year where everyone says, okay, we suck. Let's completely start over. And I was half right because all the fans now agree. There were a lot of fans in the last couple of years who were, no, I think we're okay. There's a lot of injuries. This, we still have, now everyone knows they suck. We are horrible. I don't, I am not convinced we could beat anybody in the league. I really don't think we could beat anybody in the league. Yeah. In comparison, in comparison here, I mean, you look across town, the Jets stink, but at least you're seeing some signs of progress. I mean, Zach Wilson yeah, had a decent game. Yeah, and they try. Today. Yeah, there's exciting young players in this team because, I mean, you got guys like Michael Carter having big runs today. Elijah Moore was healthy, was dominating. Elijah Barry talking about like a stud. What have the Giants given you the last like, couple of years of the draft? Make you say, Nothing. oh, my God. Nothing. And at least it's like the Jets are, even when they, even if the Jets go two and whatever it is, 15 next year, whatever, they're trying and they're getting a quarter. They're drafting two quarterbacks in four years. They're making deals. They're, they say, oh, we aren't that good. Why are we paying Jamal Adams? I'm not. Let's trade and get a pick. You know, they do stuff like that. What do the Giants do? They say, we're not tr- we're not signing Odell Beckham to trade, and then they trade him. And do you think, honestly, do you think Dave Gettleman, do you, would you say the Giants won the Beckham trade? I feel like at this point, they kind of did. They did. Because he's a, he didn't really turn out to be anything special when they got rid of him. Do you think Gettleman knew that when he traded him or just did it because of the character issues and uh, got lucky? Yeah, they, they got lucky. Obviously. Yeah, because Odell did not work out in Cleveland. That's more why they won the trade, because they did get a first-round pick. They got a guy who plays a lot in Jarrell Peppers, and they got yeah. assets. They just didn't utilize them correctly. Yeah, and Gettleman got lucky on that. He didn't He didn't make that trade saying, Beckham's not good. I can tell from that. He has no idea. He said he doesn't smile enough, and he kicked the goal line. He's a distraction because it doesn't fit the giant way, which enough. And it's showing that they're going to continue the giant way until it works again, which means 
The NFL evolves over time. We all know that. The game now compared to even the game in 2005 is very different. Yes. Very different. In the 80s, very different. Of course, maybe in 30 years from now, the game will go back to what it was in 2006 and the Giants will be good again. But uh, I doubt it. Yeah. This is going to happen until they sell the team. It reminds me so much of James Dolan and Isaiah Thomas running the Knicks. Yeah. They refuse to admit they're wrong and they just continue more of the same until uh, I don't know what, what chains at the Knicks? Why do they decide to, how did the Knicks eventually become now? I don't want to say good, but the Knicks are respectable now. Well, what happened? What was the, the turning point there? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out exactly what it was. I want to say it was probably the, the whole Kristaps thing basically forced, like forced them to actually start thinking like outside the box. Yeah. But this is like, it, it's, it's a complete joke. They have this fear for whatever reason to getting rid of somebody too early. It seems to be this thing that they have a fear of when it comes to coaches or quarterbacks. And like, I don't think they fully understand that that's not a big deal. They, they act like it's the worst thing in the world to get rid of a player prematurely. Like they have to be a hundred percent certain before moving on. They find out it's the wrong guy. They're like, Oh, what's the harm in giving him more years? Well, the harm is years. You're wasting years time. have been wasted. They have been the worst team in the league since 2017. They had a lucky year in 2016, which you can look back at some of the games and it's pretty, even if it wasn't lucky, who cares? It's one good year. And before that, they sucked for three years too. I, I guarantee you, you can look back and they're the worst team in the league since 2012. They have to be. Yeah, I think they're right up there. You know, like I'm looking and the giant way you mentioned so much, they seem to love here. Five straight years yeah. of double-digit losses. They are now tied with the Jets with the worst record in the league over that span. The Jets at least had one seven and nine year in there. They had that year where Adam Gates went six and two down the stretch to at least make themselves look semi-respectable. And the Jets, I mean, they again, they know what they are. They know that they have to rebuild. They are in the middle of doing it. We'll see if they succeed. But the Giants don't seem to realize that they can't do this the right way. Isn't I mean, you're a Jet fan, so it's not infuriating for you. But pretend you're a Giant fan for a second. Isn't it infuriating? that we are the worst team in the league. This is undisputable, the worst team in the league since 2017. Like, literally, record-wise, we are. Yeah. And probably the worst team in the league since 2012. And we've never even tried rebuilding. No. Because isn't, that an, it was, isn't that infuriating? Yeah. I think the whole turning point, I think, goes back to the whole situation back in, was, I think it was 2017, when they decided we're going to pull the plug on Eli's streak. And I think the Giants fans take some blame is because Everyone went into an uproar about, oh, you can't do this to Eli. The fans were sitting there screaming, oh, you can't do this. The players saying, we go on where Eli during the sideline. The next day, like a week later, Matthew's fired. Jerry Reese is fired. Gambling comes in, doubles down on Eli, and then you start the whole cycle. Which I've heard, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard when they were interviewing candidates at that point in time, they were down to, I believe, I could be wrong about this, but they were down to Gettleman and Lewis Riddick, yeah. who we see all over the TV and the radio now. And Lewis Riddick had said that they didn't hire him because he wanted to get rid of Eli Manning, move forward with the team, draft a quarterback, rebuild, and said, you guys need to rebuild. And Dave Gettleman went in there and said, no, we're going to draft a running back or, you know, Barkley or skill position, and we're going to win now with this team. And they ended up what going, I don't know, 5-11 and 11 that year, I think. Something like that. Sounds about right. I mean, and we know it was no better than six and ten. They haven't been, but I don't think it was. So it's been five and eleven, and that's what the story has been since. But I think it goes back further than that. I think the issue is when, and I'll admit I was wrong at the time because I agreed with the move at the time. But I think this goes back to getting rid of Tom Coughlin and not getting rid of Jerry Reese when you did. 
because it created this cycle of head coach, then GM, then GM fired, then no head coach. And it's happening again now where no one's on the same page. You need to let someone come in and actually choose their head coach, choose their quarterback, not say this is our quarterback, this is our head coach. And they never did that. They did that when they brought in Gettleman. And even Gettleman, as much as I don't like the guy, it's not even his fault. He's just a yes man. He's just doing Mara's work for him. He's doing exactly what Mara says to do is what he's doing. Yep. I have the records pull up, by the way. I did go to to, uh, pro football reference here. Since the boat game, 3-13 in 2017, 5-11, you were correct, in 2018, 4-12 in 2019, 6-10 last year, 4-11 so far this year with two more games to go against Chicago and Washington. So the best case there is 6-11. Yeah, I will guarantee a victory against Washington in the last week of the season. They love doing that and ruining their draft pick. They're the same thing when they could have got Chase Young. They decided to win that game. Um, this, this is a lot bigger than a bad team. This is a bad team that has no signs of turning it around at all. They have, it looks like they don't want to turn it around at all. It, it almost looks like they're losing on purpose because everyone, it's not just fans of the giants or, or people who are passionate about the team. Everyone knows what they're doing is wrong. Everyone. They're the laughing stock of the league. Now they've overtaken Many teams who are worse than them at some point or another, like the Browns, more recently the Jets and Jaguars, they are the joke, the laughing stock of the league. It's not even close. Like Detroit is horrible. Detroit might be the least talented team in the league right now. They play hard. But you know, you know Detroit's getting the first pick. You know they're picking somebody who's going to fix their team, the quarterback, whoever it may be. I'm not really familiar with the college game right now on who the top picks are. But you know Detroit's going to do that, and they're going to try to elevate themselves and rebuild the team. The Giants still haven't done that. It's going to be another three to four years of us Giant fans rooting for them to lose so they'll realize. It's been like six years now of us rooting for them to lose. Yeah, and I'm looking at right now, the thing that also bothered me about Joe Judge is how, like, when they lost to Tampa on Monday night, back, first game after the bye, he came out, basically ripped the offense apart and said, you know, like, this is unacceptable. The next day, Jason Garrett gets fired. Over the last six games, the New York football Giants, these are their point totals. They had 10 against Tampa. They had 13 that game they won against the Eagles because Jalen Hurts couldn't do a damn thing. They had 21 against the Chargers. They had a six spot against the Cowboys. There's another 10 in there and then 10 today. So, I mean, what, like, they have averaged 11.6 points per game since the bye, which is... And, the, and most of them are garbage time points, too. Like yeah. the Charger game, I think they had two garbage time touchdowns. Today they had one garbage time touchdown. It's all garbage time. Yeah. It's all garbage time. The head coach is punting from positive territory because he's conservative as hell, and then he's trying to basically p- tack on these guard time cuts down the way he can and say, see, we tried, we fought, we didn't give in at the end of the game, and then, you know, it just it goes back to the same mentality back when he's forcing Daniel Jones to play the last minutes of the game against the Rams, and they were getting blown out. You know, Jones coming off concussion saying, we compete for all six minutes. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, it's, 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 a, com- it's a complete joke. And it shows that this guy knows no idea, has no idea what he's talking about, what he's doing. He knows nothing about football. He was hired because he was a hard ass and he would yell and put the players in shape. This is not high school football. It's not going to work. These are professional athletes. You don't have good players. They're not going to play well. And <clears throat> on top of it all, you, you look back at a lot of this stuff that you hear. Now you see a lot of articles coming out about the past with the team. I saw one as recently as this past week that says that McAdoo was ran out of town because of his distrust, 
mistrust, I guess that's the word, his mistrust of Eli Manning and begged the Giants to trade up and draft Patrick Mahomes. And they denied him and always had a sour attitude for him the rest of the year. And that's why when they were bad, he was gone. I've also read that numerous scouts in the Giants organization were begging them to not pick Saquon Barkley because they said, we can get a better running back later on in the first round if we make a trade here. You know who that running back is? Nick Chubb, who definitely is better than Saquon Barkley. It's not even a comparison. It wasn't even a comparison going into this season. Forget it after, like now. Now it's not, it's not, it's like a joke. This is the same thing over and over. It's John Mara refusing to admit his way is wrong, refusing to adapt to the modern NFL, refusing to incorporate analytics at all in their team, and thinking what worked in 2007 is going to work again. It's not going to work. And like, like I said, unless the NFL does a complete 180 in the next however many years, maybe in 30 years, it'll work again, but it's not working now. Yeah, and as far as the GS situation, we know Gelwin is stepping down at the end of the year, basically. They're not going to fire him because he's a member of the family, and the Giants seem to have this mentality. Is every GM, going back to 1979, he's been a descendant from the George Young tree. It was George Young, Ernie Corsi worked for him, Jerry Reese worked for Corsi, Gettleman worked like for the Giants for 15 years before he left Carolina and then came back. Like, And right now you mentioned Kevin Abrams is the assistant GM, is the right now presumed leader in the clubhouse to be that new GM, which... Again, it's like it's just they're living in their own vacuum where they're just like talking themselves into thinking, oh, we have a great process. We have great results. And the results are not there. Simply put, they stink. Yep. Yep. I said this from the the start in 2017 or whenever it was. And they hired Gettleman. I think it was it was, I think it was before that year was over. I, mean, if I remember. Yeah, they, they fired. Yeah, they fired Jerry Reese, fired and Reese. after the Eli debacle, and then they brought Gelman in. I think was like three weeks ago in the season. Yeah, so I said it then because you know any Giant fan would do. I said, all right, who's this Dave Gettleman guy? Who's our new general manager? I knew he was at the Panthers, but what's his history before that? Most people would say he's at the Panthers. Was the Super Bowl? That's great. He got a Super Bowl. Not they didn't win the Super Bowl. They made it, but you know we got a Super Bowl caliber GM. This is great. But hold on. For 13 years before that, he was the director of pro personnel for the Giants. He's assist, assist, essentially an assistant general manager. So we're just hiring the backup at this point, you know, the assistant, the backup. And now we're doing it again. So nothing's changing. So essentially, in 2017, when we fired Jerry Reese, who was there for a while. And Reese's way worked at one point, right? Yep. We haven't changed. We have the same, in my point of view, we have the same general manager that we did because we're hiring the same tree, the same people, the same beliefs, the same giant way. You know how the people have that sign, commitment to excellence? Yes. The Giants is commitment to awfulness. They lose every chance they can. Yeah. And the thing you mentioned here is like, even if John Mara is still living in his own little like vacuum bubble where he said, oh, I found Bill Belichick. He's going to be great in a couple of years. And like, I think I, I cautioned that. I don't think they understand. It's like, Look right across the building. You can look what happened with the Jets. They, their whole cycle of misery for about a decade started with the fact that they brought in John Idzik after they fired McCagden, saddled Idzik with Rex. The two of them did not agree ever. They got fi- like they got fired together two years later, and they started the whole cycle where we mismatched coaches and GMs, and it took them until last year to get it right where the GM picked his coach and had control over the whole thing, and now they looked like they're finally starting to at least begin to crawl in the right direction. The Giants have never done that, and doing this again no. where... And they you, won't. You have either you're promoting from within, which means you can continue the same process, or Joe Judge is going to pick some expatriate to be his GM for him, 
which means Joe Judge has all the power, and then you're not accomplishing anything either. You're doing more of the same. Yeah, so the Giants get one thing that the Jets didn't have. You had mentioned how they went back and forth. You know, the GM and coach will go back and forth disagreeing. The Giants don't have that. They're all in agreement, which is a, I guess is a good thing, but they're all in agreement on the wrong thing. Yes. They're all together. They're all yes men. They're all yes Mara, yes Mara, yes sir. But everything they do is wrong. Everything. Yeah. It stems back to way before Saquon Barkley, which was, I said it to many people that leading up to that draft, which is not even, a lot of people like to come on a podcast and, you know, brag about something you called. Like, for example, when I called the Yankees, we're going to get Garrett Cole. That was a good one because there were no signs pointing to that at all. You had mentioned that when we said that, right? Yep. I said, if the Giants draft Saquon Barkley, it will be a disaster of the pick, and they will be awful for his entire tenure as a Giant. Now, that's that, that at the time, I thought that was, well, that's a good prediction. That's not a good prediction. Everyone knows that. Anyone who knows anything about football knows if you pick a running back second overall, you're a fool. The only time it's ever worked out where someone picked a running back that high, and it didn't really work out, it just worked out, you know, mostly, was Elliott. Because yeah. the Cowboys literally, you knew because Romo was hurt. You knew like, all right, he's going to come back next year. We don't need a quarterback. If that was the case, if Eli was six years younger and was hurt, and that's why they were bad, sure, you can pick a running back, and that's the missing piece of the puzzle. They actually thought it was missing. The fact that they thought it was the missing piece to the puzzle and since then have missed the playoffs four years in a row, going to be five years in a row, 18, 19, 17, 18, 19, 20, five years. 21. Yes, the fact that this, how is Dave Gettleman not fired? How is he allowed to step down? Well, that's more the fact that they just don't want to embarrass him, which I mean, it's fine. He's not giving the job. It's all that matters to me. It's like that. If he's going to, you want to say him, Gabe, you're not coming back. You want to just like, it's, there's to me, it's, more, it's, it's more of John Mara not admitting he made a mistake. That's why he's not firing him, letting him step down. It's not the same. It's the same results. I mean, that's semantics. It doesn't matter to me. But what, he's always not in the job. That's fine. But the problem is then you're sort of limiting your, like you said, you're limiting your pool because you're sort of listening to the same circle of like, oh, we're not that far away, we have good talent, we got hurt, and then you're making excuses, not realizing your process is flawed. Do you, do you think out there, because I think the answer is yes, and to me this is even crazier, do you think, because I'm not even going to point blame at Gettleman anymore, I'm not going to point blame at Judge anymore, I'm looking all of this as um, as Mara. I, I, I mentioned before, Tish could be involved in this too, I don't know, I'm just saying Mara, I really mean ownership, but do you really think Mara looks at this team and says, we made the right calls, I think. We got unlucky. Yes, I think he does. And that's, then, then there's no hope until he sells the team. There really isn't. Because <clears throat> I think right now, you say, you know, we had a lot of injuries this year. It's like we had a bad call with the offensive coordinator, and then, like, Daniel Jones got hurt, so we had no shot. So I think he's going to say, you know what, like, Joe Judge deserves another chance because he didn't have his coordinator. He didn't have the coordinator he wanted. His quarterback got hurt. All the linemen got hurt. Gallon whiffed on picks. He's just saying, like, you know, we get the right person who believes in Joe Judge's way. We'll fix it. That's what I think you he's know, thinking right now. I wish I can remember it. I can't. I was in that article that I read. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, I know I can narrow it down a little bit. I know it was either Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, or Devonta Smith. I know the Giants were going to get Smith, but one of those three <clears throat> that basically – Jason Garrett said, we need to not let someone else take these guys and trade up and get them. And I think they all look great so far. All three of those guys look fantastic. And it just seems like the guys that they're firing are the guys who are going against the giant way, like Garrett and McAdoo. And it seems like those guys were right. And those guys knew what they were doing more than everybody else. 
Well, Jason Garrett, to be fair, is a terrible offensive coordinator. He has no imagination whatsoever. So, I mean, he should not have been in his job to begin with. That was more of a, sounds like John Mara forced him on Jones saying, hey, like, he worked for us for a while. He's a good. Oh, yeah, he was a back. He was a backup quarterback. That's why he got the job. Yeah. He backed up, I believe, Kerry Collins back in the day. Yeah, it's all of the family mentality is just so annoying with the Giants because, again, like you're yeah. going down the path where you're just cycling through all these guys who are doing the same things, make the same mistakes, and you look at what's happened next year. They have three and a half million dollars in cap room. They're not going to do much of anything without making. Cuts. Oh yeah, forget that. They're in cap hell too. Yeah. You, you do that, you got to release some of your good players like Blake Martinez or James Bradbury if you really want to make some waves on the cap-wise. And then even if you go here, you could take a look at the Russell Wilson situation. I know that's been the, the thing Giant fans are clinging to. It's like, oh, Russell Wilson wants to come here. Ciara wants to come to New York. Even if she does, and Russell Wilson is sitting here and saying like, why would I go waste the rest of my prime years with the Giants who can't get themselves right? They don't have an offensive line, which is my biggest issue in Seattle is. Like, why wouldn't I go to New yeah. Orleans and play for Sean Payton or go to Denver with a more uh, pro-ready setup here? Yeah, I'm, I think it's still the right move for the Giants to trade their pick and the Bears' pick for Wilson because uh, you're right, it won't work. They'll still win six games tops, seven if they're lucky. But the reason I think they should do it is because I don't trust the guys who are going to make these two picks and the Bears won today, so let's just say I don't know if they're going to be two, there won't be two top five picks. They'll have two top ten picks, definitely. Maybe if they're lucky, two top seven picks. I don't trust either of those picks. I think they're going to whiff on both of them. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, either to the, put the pick aside. Obviously, like you go get Russell Wilson, make your football team better. My question is, why would Russell Wilson want to come here? No, he wouldn't. And I don't know if he has what's his trade clause. Does he have something like that? Well, basically, these quarterbacks always are going to dictate where they go because they're going to say, you know, like, I can restructure my contract to make your fit better. So, like, I'm not going to do it for this team. I'll do it for this team. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's, you'd be a fool if you didn't go to New Orleans in this case. I mean, the Giants are 4-11. New Orleans, I think, will lose tomorrow night to Miami. Yeah. I don't know, though. They might win. So, they'll be either 8-7 and seven or 7-8, seven and eight, and, and they have a great defense. They're clearly just missing the quarterback. So isn't it kind of obvious that if you go there, it's a much better situation for you? Or Denver, because Denver has all the weapons. They have a good line, they're good defense. They just need the quarterback. Yeah. I would do either one. I think it's, it's I would never, never go play for the Giants. It seems like the worst place to go, probably in the NFL. Besides the fact that they're horrible, the coach is completely inept, management's completely inept, ownership's completely inept. It's also like cold like think about that stuff too like i know denver's cold too but they're not inept no the giants are the worst case scenario and a lot of players care about that stuff would you rather play in sunny florida or cold new jersey yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense and i think also with the situation here with joe judge and i think daniel jones here is just such a mess for them because obviously he has a neck injury you don't know what his situation is like you can't pick up his fifth-year option with the neck uncertainty, so you're basically playing him out for a year. It's like, why the hell not? Because, again, you're not really going anywhere. Give him a shot and just see what your situation looks like in 2023 with the draft. But, again, Joe Judge, he runs that organization. He's got get Mara brainwashed. I think that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and until Mara realizes just throwing garbage cans is not going to be enough to make your team win, you're not, you guys are screwed. Yeah, Jones... Like exactly what you just said, completely agree with everything. It's obvious that Jones is bad. He might be okay. And like people will point fingers around the league and say, we can't get rid of him so soon because who knows what it'll turn out to be. Like pointing fingers at someone like Ryan Tannehill. 
Like, you know, maybe maybe the Dolphins let him go too soon and he ended up being a pretty good quarterback. That's like a 2% chance that happens. I think that you're you're willing to take that chance if you're the Giants that Jones can go somewhere like, let's say, New Orleans or Carolina or somewhere like that and turn out to be pretty good. I just, but to like to use to, to your point though, I I agree and I mentioned it earlier. There's no reason not to bring Jones back. You're not turning the season around in one one off season. They're turning the team around in one off season. You literally don't have the financial space for it, and you also have people who don't know what football is running your team. So they're going to bring in players who are going to make them worse, not better. Because it's the game of balls. They continue to move backwards. You see now all the time, now this year and last year, especially more than ever, teams going for two at the end of the game. Chicago did it in one this week. Last week, Baltimore did it. didn't work out. You see teams going for it on fourth down more. Who does that less than any team in the league? The New York Giants. Who's one of the worst teams in the league? The New York Giants. It's It, it, it goes hand in hand. They refuse to admit the times have changed. Yeah, for sure. And I want to end here because obviously I was looking on Twitter here, some of his press conference remarks, and he apparently one of the things he opened with was that special teams gave the Giants good field position today. And like, if that's your headline, that's a major problem. And to me, I'm going to leave you with this. This is for John Mara, who we know watches the games. We've heard reports he's throwing trash cans in press boxes when he's upset with the team's performance. If you're losing these games 34-10, the Bears blow him out next week. Washington blows him out this week. How can you go to the Giant fan and say, this is the right guy? I know the quarterback is hurt, but you can't be completely non-competitive against bad teams. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know how you could potentially sell that. I know the reason he's doing that is because he knows Joe Judge will not say no to him. He knows, I guess, Gettleman now, but Abrams next year, as we're led to believe, will do the same thing. So for John Mara, it's I can keep my way, keep my guys. And if anyone complains, I can just have a ring of honor ceremony at halftime and they'll forget all about it. Okay, or he, give him a free medium Pepsi. Yeah, that was that one I've said there, like, okay, he's really lost with the freaking medium soda. I'm like, what, like, what, like, that's Will Pond S, the medium soda. I do you, I really think, you know, I'm a New York sports fan, a Yankee fan, a Giant fan. I like the Rangers as well. I don't really know much about hockey. I, I happen to be a Laker fan, not a Knicks fan, but I, I do like the Knicks. I watch almost every Knicks game. I do root for them as well. I, but this is this is exactly the same as James Dolan with the Knicks, is it not? It's it's getting worse. Yeah, it's ex- it's just like crazy. They're the laughing stock of the league. They've definitely over. I don't want to say because I don't know enough about hockey to say this, but I want to say this anyway. And you can tell me if it's a team in hockey who's worse, but. I really think the Giants right now, not talent-wise, but right now are the most inept organization in all of sports. In all of sports is a tough call because, I mean, there are some dumpster fires in football, out there. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It's them in Jacksonville fighting for the bottom. Yeah. And football in basketball, I mean, the Sacramento Kings have been bad as long as they've been alive, I think. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty they bad, too. Be- but like, I don't know baseball. A lot of teams are pretty bad, sure. But I don't know. I don't. I really think they might be the most inept organization in sports. Yeah, it's Giant fans, you guys are screwed. I'd say until they... one more thing I have to add, Mike. Yeah. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? Yeah, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Let's leave it at that. Yep, we'll leave it there, and I will put it out there until they do the full back up the truck, blow it up. Everybody goes, not just Gettleman, the coach, the quarterback, and you start over. You're stuck in this loop of 
Five win teams. You're trying to sell progress. Not enough is happening. Guys are underachieving. Guys are getting hurt. Except another five years of this. Yeah, it's not even like it's seven or eight wins where you can at least, you know, around this time of year be like, hey, you know, if we win three in a row to end the year, we have a shot at the playoffs. No, it's the season's over by Halloween, and then we get two wins at the end of the year to make it five wins. Yeah. It's it's really bad. <sighs> Nick, I want to thank you. Take, take the time yeah. to come on. I appreciate it. A lot more fun later this week. We're going to talk about the premiere of the Book of Boa Fett on the Sky Guys at Pete Considori. Yeah, I can't wait. Very excited for that. Um, question for you. Do you know, do we have any run times or no? Not yet. I uh, do not have a run time yet, so we'll find out. Right, well, I'm, I'm thinking same as Mando, I would assume. Yeah, those episodes are usually about like 30 to 45 minutes, usually somewhere in that range. Yeah, should be good. I'm very, very excited for the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I thank you for coming on. Up next, I got to throw my conversation with Bill Bender from the Sporting News. We talked before the Christmas holiday about the Cosmo playoff. There was no COVID talking because that was not a big issue when we had the conversation. But I look up right after this call from the SC Championship game, courtesy CBS Sports, Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson. None of it's feeling too good for number four. Here comes the blitz. Down the middle and on the fly. Jamison Williams. Extra speed on the gas and gone. Touchdown. Just like that, Alabama with the answer. This has got to be a busted coverage. No way. First of all, Brian Robinson takes on the blitz and allows the throw. But watch this lack of coverage in the middle of the field by Georgia. What's going on here? Nobody. On the slot, dangerous receiver, and not going to catch him. Nope. All right, I am back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, getting ready to break down the college football playoff with my favorite college football guest. He covers the sport for the Sporting News. Bill Bender is back on the podcast. Bill, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. I got to say, this is definitely a very interesting year, and conference championship games obviously had a interesting impact on this thing, so... You were a guy who saw all this stuff. So, what was your big takeaway from that round of games? Um, you know, it was it got us the 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 thing that happened that, that made for the least chaos is the fact that Alabama won. You know, it it allowed picture to clear up, combined with Oklahoma State's loss in the Big Ten or Big Twelve championship game. I think those things happened, and then um, you know, Michigan, Cincinnati, and they closed the door. So. I don't think there's, they left room for too much debate in terms of who should or shouldn't be in the playoff. Yeah, I can't remember the last time that we really had a playoff so clear. There's no debate and somebody's screaming, oh, so-and-so got left out. Can you remember when that happened the last time? Not really. I mean, you know, it, it was pretty straightforward last year, too. So I, I think the last two years, for all the clamoring for, you know, we need eight teams, we need this many teams, we need this many teams, it's... To me, all those teams had their chance in the regular season. So proponents of the four-team and the exclusivity of the playoff got their way this year. Yeah, for sure. If we went back to when we talked in August, and I went back there and told you, I quantum leap back into my body and said, hey, Bill, the playoff field is going to be Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati. How surprised would you have been? Pretty surprised. I mean, Alabama and Georgia wouldn't have surprised me because most people sketched out the – they're both going to go 12-0 and 0 and play each other. And the only thing that got in the way of that happening was Texas A&M beating Alabama. But uh, the rest of it, not, not terribly surprised. Um, you know, Michigan finally got over the hump and, and beat Ohio State. And 
And then Cincinnati, I knew they'd be good, and you would just figure, I guess the biggest surprise for would have been back in August, I would have been really bullish on Clemson just keeping keeping on pace and, and doing what they've been able to do in the ACC. Yeah, that's true. And my one question with the rankings, obviously, you're more in tapas than I am. And when the rankings came out prior to the conference championship games, it was Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Alabama 3. And then when the final one came out, they just flip-flopped Alabama and Georgia, and Michigan got stayed at number 2. Do you think that Michigan should have moved up to 1? Do you think Alabama did enough there to justify the leap? Um, You can make a case for it, but I think Michigan and Alabama profiled very similarly. Um, it was the fact that they both had similar strength of schedules. Alabama's a little bit better. They both had a huge win. Alabama's was a little bit better against Georgia than Michigan's against Ohio State. And they had similar losses. I mean, both really just kind of crumbled in the fourth quarter, whether it was at Texas A&M or Michigan State. So knowing all those things happened, I, I really didn't have – I kind of knew that's what they were going to do. Um, so I wasn't surprised on it. But there's definitely a case to be made that Michigan could have been number one. Yeah, part of me always wonders that this is not like a computer thing that we have the BCS where we have humans involved. Part of me always sort of wonders, I don't know if you feel this way too, that maybe they sort of had, we don't want to have the rematch between Alabama and Georgia right away. So we're going to just split, split them up like we did and just have the two potential for the matchup again, the championship game. Do you think that weighed into it at all? Uh, maybe a little. Um, you know, I would have been okay if they would have matched them up in the semifinal, but you know, and now they're both heavy favorites. I mean, Alabama's that's a huge spread. I can't remember what the spread was against Notre Dame last year. I'm, I recall it being pretty high. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. And then that Georgia-Michigan game is going to be live, though. Either way, I mean, it's going to produce the biggest reaction. That's why they put it in prime time to see if the Wolverines can actually go out there and surprise some people again and, and maybe go beat a Georgia team that's pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And I want to start with the Alabama-Cincinnati game, which is really the true David versus Goliath matchup of the all the college football playoff games we've ever seen. And right now, we're recording before Christmas here, and as of the date here, Cincinnati, I think, was like a two-touchdown underdog against Alabama here. Do you give them a shot here in this game, or do you think this is more of like an Alabama's just going to take care of business spot? Um, You know, I think it's an Alabama's going to take care of business spot. They've won their last five semifinals by 20 points per game a really good team i mean so to me mike it's not that different than them going out and beating notre dame or michigan state or clemson or washington i'm trying to get the fifth one in there oklahoma they, they where they wore all these teams out in the semifinal they're going to come out focused cincinnati's gonna play all the stops man i mean you know desmond ritter's built to this moment jerome ford's built to this moment they've got two good corners on the outside two all-american caliber corners so I mean, they're not going to back down, but they're just up against a lot in Alabama. Yeah, it's, it's shame. These, you know, it's not a vintage Alabama team. Cincinnati had a very good year. I mean, they got the first team from outside the Power Five to make the playoff. I feel like they kind of deserve a little better than getting potentially steamrolled here. Well, I mean, it is, but I mean, this is the game for both sides of that argument that has taken place since the college football playoff started. I mean, for group of five opponents, you're in. You know, this is the chance to shine and show and do those things that UCF wanted to do and Houston wanted to do and, and Boise wanted to do back in the BCS era. And uh, for the elitist types, it's chance for Alabama to show why Cinderella doesn't belong, you know? And, and I think they set up the two programs that have best represented that in the college football playoff era to play each other in this game. 
Yeah, I wonder how much pressure is on Cincinnati right now to try and make a statement here, show they do belong in this spot because they sort of had to wave all those other power five, non-power five schools you mentioned here. And I'm like, if they come out and lose like 38-10, that's going to be a big thing for all the elites. Say, see, see, they don't belong here. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's that's why what's at stake. I mean, I don't know that I would take stock in one. It, it's going to be a tough assignment, I, it, and it becomes sometimes it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, we all see. Alabama win by a bunch of points and say, I told you so, when the reality is it's one game. You know, there, there could be a better Cincinnati team come along in a couple of years. Of course, they'll probably be in the Big 12 then. So, I, you know, I, I try to keep an open mind with those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. Let's get to the other game, the Georgia-Michigan matchup here. I think that's definitely the more compelling of the two. As of record date, Georgia's an eight-point favorite in that game. And I think it's a big spot for Michigan here also because – all right, as you mentioned, finally got the monkey off his back to beat Ohio State. What do you think they have to do here to win this game? Well, you know, they're going to have to run the football. They're going to have to keep Cade McNamara in third manageable. Um, those are the two big things, and we're going to see. I mean, can Michigan receivers test Georgia's defensive backs? That's a huge key to this game is Michigan's a really good team. Um, they've been able to bully people with that offensive line. Georgia's going to present a challenge with all that four- and five-star talent. So, and, and the creativity factor from Josh Gaddis. That's what blew the Iowa game open. A couple creative plays that Iowa hadn't seen, and all of a sudden Michigan's in control at 14-3. to three. SEC Big Ten games generate a ton of excitement. They generate a ton of uh, you know interest and, and with good reason. So I think that game's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, like – in terms of like, if you had to like sort of get a percentage here, and obviously recording early because we don't know if there's gonna be any sort of COVID issues, something gets hurt in practice, but like based on what we know with the team today, like what percentage chance you get Michigan to win that game? Um, well, I mean, you know, I would say it's a 60 40 type game, 65 35 maybe. I mean, they're up against it, it's gonna be tough, but that's the game that's it's going to attract a lot of attention. If they do the things that they did against Ohio State, who has a lot of talent too, they'll be in position to win that game in the second half. If they can slow down uh, Georgia's rushing attack and their defense, man, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, if they dominate a game like they will, or they have, especially in the last month of the season, then they're going to have a chance to win the football game. Oh, for sure. I'm sure that like ESPN is definitely rooting for Michigan to win. I feel like they think their rating are probably much bigger if they get Michigan, Alabama than Georgia, Alabama again. I feel like they, they want to get more national appeal. I think Michigan has that. Oh, I mean, that that ratings would be through the roof on that. I mean, you go back to the Citrus Bowl last year or two years ago when they played, it was a highly watched game and Michigan wasn't near the team they are now. And Alabama had lost two games that year. So, yeah, and that was a good game in the first half before Alabama's talent kind of took over. So we'll see what's changed if it comes to that. I still predicted Georgia and Alabama to win. And, and like you said, I mean, the rest of the country might not be real thrilled about that, but they have been the two best teams for most of the year. Yeah, and assuming we get that all-SEC title game here with the Georgia-Alabama rematch, I think the question I have more is with Georgia because it seems like Alabama's been like a mental block for them for years. They can never seem to beat Alabama in a big spot. Like, is this something you think they have to have in their minds? Sort of like, we need to find a way to beat this team because we can't get them now when they're not as good as they've been. When's it ever going to happen? Well, I mean, that's part of football, right? And these long streaks and the emotional blocks that come with it. And um, certainly, they're going to have a chance. Um, you know, they, they've got to make adjustments from the first game. One of the big things that we've been looking at is obviously John Metchie's out. 
with a torn ACL. If John Mechie can't, uh, you know, he can't play, so Alabama's going to have to adjust to their game plan without him. Um, Alabama, in, in turn, is going to have to, uh, um, you know, run the football better in the rematch. So I think those things are certainly at work. Yeah, for sure. Those games are going to be exciting, but obviously we have a whole other slate of bowls. We've got the full slate this year because everything went better with the COVID situation in terms of college football. But, like, what other bowl games really attract your attention right now? Like, what ones do you make a point to watch besides the two playoff games? Well, I mean, there's a lot of them out there. That Western Kentucky bowl game with the App State, as small as that seems. I mean, you get to watch Bailey's App toss it around against uh, that uh, App State team that's never lost a bowl game. I mean, any SEC Big Ten game gets a lot of interest. I think Marcus Freeman making his Notre Dame debut is going to be a lot of fun. So uh, there's a lot out there. Michigan State Pitt, Kenneth Walker and Kenny Pickett, two of the two best stories of the season going head-to-head in what should be a high-scoring game. So, you know, I'm just happy that we have 43 Bulls to to watch, and uh, I'll watch most of them. I always do, and it'll be a lot of fun to see. Absolutely. And last thing I want to touch on here, sorry, this coaching carousel. I think it's been very, very weird this year. We got a lot of big moves. And Lincoln Riley flying out of Oklahoma to go to USC. We had Brian Kelly secretly talking to LSU, become their head coach. The whole Mario Cristobal going to Miami thing was very weird. Like, which of those moves sort of shocked you the most? Well, I mean, Brian Kelly to LSU. I mean, just because, you know, you thought maybe he would end his career at Notre Dame and to go from one big time program to another. Um, Lincoln Riley was less surprising maybe because he's younger um, and, you know, it's a lifestyle type thing. He wants to go to the West Coast. He wants to coach USC. It'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, but those are the two, obviously, that generated the most attention. Yeah, I think, honestly, it's interesting seeing how those two situations played out where Lincoln Riley sort of gets out of the out of Oklahoma before they go to the SEC, where it's kind of much more difficult. But Brian Kelly said, I'm not scared of a challenge. I'll go to LSU and take on Alabama and Georgia every year. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, all of those things are at work. And, um, you know, I don't know that Lincoln Riley ducked the SEC necessarily. He just went to what he thought was a better opportunity. And USC, you know, the Pac-12 has been dying to get back on the national stage. Football team, obviously, um, 2016, they haven't had a playoff team since. So, I mean, that conference needs to get going. And then Brian Kelly, obviously, I think, He'll be able to recruit a little bit better at LSU. There's no doubt about that. But uh, they're going to expect a national championship. Their last three coaches won national championships. Yeah, I always fa- I'm fascinated with that, especially considering how quick LSU was re- willing to move on Matt Orgeron and won the title just two years ago. Well, they had a lot going on off the field, too. Yeah. So, you know, with that and, you know, the, the way that their fans are, it's, they demand, you know, excellence in, in, in recruiting and on the field. And, you know, Brian Kelly's going to have a chance. I mean, he's got a chance to prove it. He's going to have to do the same thing that Jimbo's been trying to do at Texas A&M, and everybody has to deal with Alabama. And that kind of brings our conversation full circle in some ways. Is Whether you're in a 14, 18, 12 team, 16 team playoff, doesn't matter. Everything still revolves around Alabama. Our conversation back in August still revolves around Alabama. Who's going to slow this dynasty down? Who's going to beat this team on the big stage? And how they can go from, you know, that's a be too long-winded about it, but how do you go from Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, all guys that are having success in the NFL, and then you have another Heisman Trophy winner and another supporting cast that is just out, out of this world. Yeah, absolutely. I always think for me, and this is my last thing, sort of the 18 playoff thing is going to be the way we end up with this. I wonder if that sort of adding the extra game, even if it is on campus, does add more randomness, more 
variability and things that make it more difficult for Alabama to have to win the third game as opposed to just two. I think that's sort of scenario they can see where we're going. I don't know if we're going to get there. Do you feel like that's coming in, say, the next five years? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of kinks to work out before we get to the expanded playoffs. They will expand. I just don't know when. I think it'll coincide maybe with the next TV deal when realignment's done and that's what all those decision makers are making. And, and this year doesn't make it easy on them because for all the talk about eight and 12, here we are. And we have the four best teams in the country playing in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Bill, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be on social media, keep up with your coverage of the sporting news. Yeah. I'm at Bill Bender 92 at sportingnews.com. You can find all our stuff there and man, we'll have Mike. We'll have a ton of playoff stuff over the next couple of weeks. We have our all American team coming out next week and everything that comes with it. Absolutely. Bill, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 17 here on the podcast. Feels weird it's not the last week of the regular season, but we still have one to go after this. Join me today. First time guest on the podcast. Friend of mine, a pitcher on our championship softball team, Joey Castellano, is here. Joey, how are you? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Pretty good. Glad to have you on. And as I do for everybody who's new on the podcast, I want to ask you, like, who was your NFL team? Unfortunately, the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> That's been a rough year for you. But I got to start with, how did that happen when you're based in New York? Um, it's a, So my dad, basically, a pretty simple story. So my dad, you know, grew up in... 60s, 70s, you know, purple people eaters, you know, the Vikings, big time, you know, hot team, then Frank Parkinson, the whole bit. So uh, he grew up as a Vikings fan, just chose them. I guess, I don't know if they were on national TV a lot or what, what the deal was, but um, so he chose them. I kind of, in the beginning, he always told me, you know, don't choose them because, you know, I like them and I should have listened because, you know, it's been a rough road, but um Overall, you know, I just kind of followed suit and, you know, grew up watching them, grew up rooting for them. So I ended up choosing them, and then here I am, just a diehard Vikings fan with misery. Yeah, your misery is very special this year because I feel like watching this team, I've been invested because I'm a big Dalvin Cook fantasy owner. I have them both my leagues, and the way they play games this year, man, it feels like you're either, like, winning tight, losing tight, having heartbreakers, <laughs> giving up big leads. How is, I don't know how you're saying it, watching this team this year. Uh, it's been rough. Uh, every week, you know, put through the ringer. Basically, even when they get the two touchdown lead, I'm sitting there saying it's not over yet. You know, it's like you can't even get comfortable. So every 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 drive under two minutes, they're giving up points. I mean, you know, a lot of people use Kirk Cousins as a scapegoat, you know, someone to blame it on. But in reality, you got to look at, at a couple other things. You know, the play calling been horrible. Clint uh, Kubiak, you know, Gary Kubiak's son is offensive coordinator. He's been, you know. I, sometimes it looks really good. And then, you know, if you know what the thing is, usually when they have the lead, he's the worst play caller in the league. And then when they're down two touchdowns, he's playing the game as if they're winning the game and he gets aggressive. And, you know, we just can't, you know, put the clamp down on teams. And it's been very frustrating to watch. And, you know, defense is another part of it too, where they look great at times. And then, you know, they lead the league in sacks. Uh, they got zero this week, but, before this week, they were leading the league in sacks, and now it's at the point where, you know, it's, it's just like under two minutes. I think they have, like, the worst 
um, point differential or, you know, they, they gave up the most points in the last two minutes of the half and full game combined where I actually saw a stat the other day um, before this week. I don't know if it applied to the last two weeks, but, you know, if they just didn't give up those points at halftime, if you just uninclude all those, I know it's part of the game and everything, but, you know, if you take those points away, they're 12-0. So everything that, you know, the game's come down to those last two minutes defense. It's just been, and you know, Kirk Cousins has been playing great this year. I mean, it, it sucks. Like, he threw up a flat dud the other day with the Rams, but, you know, he's been pretty solid overall. Um, and he's been bringing down a game-winning drive. I mean, granted, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. I could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, you clearly could. I want to ask about that Ram game specifically because obviously I was locked in on the very drunk Jet Jaguar games. I did not get a chance to see yeah. much of the uh, Viking game there. Can you tell me what exactly happened there? Like, wh- how did this thing with the Rams play out? Um, so the defense, for once, looked amazing where they just can't click at the same time. You know, the defense came out looking pretty good overall. They got three interceptions and you still lose the game. Um, you win the turnover battle um, and you still lose the game. Um, the offense came out really flat. Um, Kirk Cousins threw up a dud, like I said earlier. Um, I mean, obviously, we had no Dalvin Cook, which is a huge factor. I mean, Madison's good, but, you know, Dalvin Cook is, you know, a big aspect of the offense. And um, when he's out there, it's just a game changer. So, um, I mean, Justin Jefferson broke that um, single season or two seasons record um, for receiving yards, which was pretty nice. I mean, a nice little record breaker there, you know, give us a positive light. But overall, the offense just looks like a dud. So, um, it's usually what it's been. It seems like it doesn't click all at the same time when the offense finally clicks on, um, you know, take the lead or something. And then the defense just, you know, lets the other team right down the field in the, in the last two minutes. So just on, the, you know, whatever side of the ball kind of screws up the following week, you'll see. But, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been brutal. It's been like you just every week, it seems like you're down to the last two minutes, you know, standing up over the TV waiting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it is, it is kind of Groundhog's Day for the Vikings this year. And I think this Sunday night, they get the Packers in there. And they're basically just about they have to win out to have any shot at the playoffs. They beat Green Bay in ones. Green Bay's going for home field. And I can't imagine it's going to be a fun spot for the Vikings this week. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, you got Rodgers in prime time. I was hoping the game would get flexed out, to be honest with you. Um, but we got Rodgers in prime time. I mean, the Vikings, you know, this is one of those things where you know, the playoffs are on the line, which has happened the last few years. And I've seen them come out pretty flat before. And then you've seen them come out looking like they want to win and make the playoffs. But we'll see what kind of Vikings team we get. And uh, like I said, it's Rodgers in the playoffs. So I mean, my hopes aren't too high right now. Um, but I mean, the Vikings have done good against Rodgers and the Packers in the last few years. But um, I mean, we'll see. I'm not really, I don't have a lot of hope going into it. It kind of sucks as, they do need to win these next two games, um, make the playoffs, and then have a lot of help with it. So um, I think they need one Saints loss in the next two and Eagles loss in the next two. And if they win both, they'll you know, sneak in. But that's a lot. Yeah, it is. But we'll see what happens with the Vikings. Let's get to the picks. It's the reason why you're here this week. Uh, my good buddy Joe Dalvizio was here last week. He went 2-1 and one on the week. He had the Colts plus 2 against the Cardinals on Christmas. The Bucks laying a 10.5 against the Panthers. They won that one running away. He had the Patriots laying a 2.5. They lost to the Bills, lost to the division. And frankly, Joe, as a Jeff, I'm very happy that, that he just got that one wrong. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that one. 
Yeah, because I'm sick of New England having just everything go their way. I like to see them suffer a little misery for once. Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually loved the Bills last week. Um, felt, you know, I felt like they were going to come out after that, you know, that snowy, windy game they had a couple weeks ago, and you know, losing that tough one. You know, the Patriots only threw the ball. What was it like twice or something ridiculous? So, yeah, three times. Yeah, three times. So honestly, it's. <laughs> I kind of looked at it. I was like, I think the Bills going to come out with a little different, uh, you know, chip on their shoulder and you know get this one done. So it was nice to see that they actually looked uh, pretty good out there and you know took the lead of the division because I'm kind of pulling for the Bills in that one. Yeah, for sure. I had a two on week as well. I I rode with Joe on the Colts. We went plus two together. We both got a win there. I took my Jets laying the points despite all the COVID stuff. I got a win there. <laughs> I there you yeah, go. Yeah, I also lost on the Kobe with the Ravens. I had them getting the two and a half, and Joe Burrow just took a big dump on their defense. Oh my God, Joe Burrow! That game was awesome to watch. I mean, he's what was that, five hundred and thirty yards, something like that. It was Higgins, uh, receiver, had a great game too. That was really good to watch. Yeah, T. Higgins was a fantasy week winner if you started him last week. Oh yeah, I think he had like thirty points or something, like three touchdowns or something like that. Yeah, it was quite a ridiculous week. So on the year. Team Challengers is 20, 27, and 1. It's been a rough year. This year's been hard to pick. I'm only 25 and 23. I'm barely over 500, and we'll get this going here. We'll see if you can keep pushing the momentum forward for Team Challengers. So as the guest, you're up first. Where are you going with your first pick of the week? All right, so let's start this off right. So the first pick I'm going to go with is the Los Angeles Chargers, and they are minus 5.5 to the Denver Broncos. Um, I just kind of think, you know, they got you know, smoked up by the Houston Texans last week. I think they'll, uh, I think they'll turn it around and you know, get this win. I think I'm hoping they cover the spread. Um, this is something where I just like if I was to look at it, maybe take a money line. But um, I think the five and a half I like. Is, you know, I think they could beat the Broncos by a touchdown. Drew Locke um, has not looked good at all. Uh, so I, I do like the Chargers this week. Yeah, you are a brave man taking the charge. I know. I think it's probably the Viking blood you have. You're willing to make that pick. I'm going nowhere near that game. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's what it is. You know, I like to take the risk out there, but I think they're going to have a bounce back week. All right, where are you going? Pick number two. Pick number two. So when I was looking at this, I made the pick. It was five and a, it was fifteen and a half. But I'm going to go with the points with the Texans. Even at, I think it's either at thirteen or thirteen and a half, whatever you know site you're looking at. Um, I'm going to go with the Texans, though. I think uh, they've been one. They've been looking pretty good, but that's a lot of points. And the Niners are facing a Jimmy Garoppolo injury, which is the same injury as Russell Wilson, or very similar. Hoping for the Vikings' sake, he's out for a few weeks. We might need some help there too. So um, I'm going to actually go with the points from the Texans, and hopefully the Davis Mills train continues to look strong. Yeah, I'm looking at that one right now. It's 13 and a half points at home, and that's a big number. So if he has to miss that game and Trey Lance is starting, like the Texans, you said, they've been feisty. I like that pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of going off the Jimmy, uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo uh, injury, too. I mean, hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's a lot of points. That's what I'm banking on here. <laughs> All right, that's for sure. That's pick number two. Where are you going with pick number three? So pick number three, I'm going to go with the Washington football team. Plus three and a half or plus four, get that point, uh, get that, um, get those points over a field goal. Key number um, at home, home dog. The way I'm looking at this one is very, pretty simple. They just got embarrassed on Sunday Night Football. Um, 
and a division rival to the Dallas Cowboys, one of the biggest rivals in you know football. It was embarrassing. They got destroyed. It was over before it even started. Now I'm looking at them to you know come back here, quick turnaround um, versus the Eagles division rival um, at home. Playoffs are on the line for basically both teams. Um, and I think Washington shows up here. I think at least covers the number, keeps it a close game. Um, so I, I like Washington a lot in this one. Um, but yeah, and we need a little help too with the Vikings fans. So I'd like <laughs> the Washington win. Yeah, that would be definitely good for you. Your picks are on the board. I'm up now. Pick number one. I'm going to go against your team. I'm taking the Packers, laying a six and a half on Sunday Night Football here. And I think this is a spot where I think. Dalla Cook might not play this game. He's not the COVID list. And I think Green Bay remembers week 12. They are playing for the NFC North title, NFC home field advantage here. Aaron Rodgers will have a big spot here. I'm sorry, Joey. I think they're going to get blown out here. I'm going to take the Packers laying the points. Yeah, man. You know I'm coming on the show. All you got to do is... Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's pick number one. Pick number two. I'm going to lay the big wood here. I'm going to take the Patriots laying 15 and a half at home against the Jaguars. I think this is a spot where very angry New England team lost control of the division. They've lost two in a row. Bill's going to come out. They work with the score on his next team. And it comes in Jacksonville, who they have COVID issues. They're not playing well to begin with. They should have beaten the Jets last week and found a way to lose that game. This is going to be an ugly one. I'll fit this show up for this game. I think the Patriots win by at least three touchdowns. So give me New England laying all those points. Pick two. I love that pick. I love that pick. That was my other pick. So I was I would have done if I had a fourth pick. That was going to be the one. I think the objection that they're just going to kill them. All right, that's pick number two. Pick number three. I'm actually going heads up with you on the Washington game. I'm taking the Eagles laying the four there. I think Washington is cooked right now. I think that they sort of are out of gas. They've had the big COVID outbreak has really impacted their season. The guys are coming back not the same. I think the Eagles are on a roll right now. We saw what Jalen Hurst did against them the first time. Put up all that huge game fantasy wise. Put up all those touchdowns. Numbers only four. Washington can play better. Not going to get blown out like that again, but I think this is still a double game, in my opinion. So I'm going to go heads up with you on the Eagles for the last pick. <laughs> so you're going to take the against the Vikings and you're going to go heads up on me in the last pick. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, but uh, no, yeah, I, yeah, I'm in, yeah I, I agree. I mean, it could go either way. That one's a flip-flop, but yeah. And the Viking one, I would probably, if I wasn't a Viking fan, hammer the Packers with you. <laughs> All right, so to reset the picks here, Joey's going with the Chargers laying five and a half against the Denver Broncos at home. The Houston Texans getting 13 and a half against the Niners in San Francisco. The Washington football team plus four at home against the Eagles. I'm taking the Packers laying the six and a half against Joey's Vikings. The Patriots laying 15 and a half against the hapless Jaguars at home. And the Eagles laying four against the Washington football team. Going heads up with Joey there. And those are your picks for week number 17 on the podcast. And it's been a lot of fun. I can't, I still can't believe we have an extra week in this season. I know like this would normally be the last week of the season. So it's actually kind of nice to get that extra football. I mean, also, I mean, for the Vikings sake, it definitely helps out getting into the playoffs. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely very cool. Yeah. And usually this is about where I announce next week's guest. I don't have one yet because it's still early in the week. I'm working on a few options. I will, Tweet out once I have confirmation. But, Joey, I want to thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. And uh, happy holidays and hope all is well and happy new year. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. Talking NHL Olympics. And they pulled out of the games this week. Not a shock. The league is having a lot of issues with COVID. I mean, they've had multiple games postponed. 
due to this. They put the league on pause prior to Christmas, two days earlier than anticipated. They had issues where they were canceling games due to the border restriction travel. And to me, the thing that would concern me here at this is obviously losing the Olympics sucks, but I think the big issue for the NHL was the players trying to have to deal with essential quarantine down in Beijing. If you are not aware, here's what's going on there. According to the IOC, if you test positive in Beijing, you are quarantined in China for three to five weeks. So imagine you get there, you're the Ranger, Tank Panarin is playing for Team Russia for whatever reason. Now, all the stuff with Putin doesn't make sense, but here's what's happening here. If he goes there, gets the bronze medal game, test positive, he's out of action for five weeks. Can you have to have here the Rangers and you're contending? No. Can you do that if you're any team in contention? Nope. That's a problem. The issue I see here is obviously that made untenable. Plus, the league has that three-week opening here to reschedule all these games that are being postponed due to COVID. And with the Omicron surge, it's going to happen more and more in just a second because... This Omicron is not going away. They're going to be more postponements. They're going to need that three window to make up these games. And it makes sense to do that. They have a luxury that the NBA does not, where they don't have a built-in break. The NFL is not that luxury, so they're trying to plow forward. College football playoffs not that luxury either. I mean, we have reports about how, oh, we're going to, you know, forfeit games if teams can't take the field. We have a forfeit national championship. You can have no contest, and neither team can play due to COVID. It's not great. The NHL does have... A benefit here. They are going to go to Italy in 2026. The COVID should be under control by then. The games will be better for us here in the United States because they'll be starting at more convenient hours opposed to a lot of these games in China will be starting in the middle of the night. The thing I'm concerned about here for the Olympics is obviously this is a brutal blow of the Olympics because what you have going on here, the hockey is one of the two big draws for the Winter Olympics. The other one's obviously the figure skating. Losing the NHL players again, it's going to be tough to get people invested here in the U.S., especially with the time difference. We'll see what happens there, but losing these Olympics is a blow. And with that, I want to end this week's show. I want to thank the guests, as always, Nick Frey for hopping on. You're talking about the Giants. Bill Bender doing the college football playoff preview. Joey Castellano doing the NFL picks. You're working stuff like this podcast, including my look at the all-Madden documentary that aired on Christmas. I watched it. I review up on the blog. Check it out over there, justatthesuffering.wordpress.com. I also want you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the jewel suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms, my episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well to help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of these conversations are up on YouTube right now, so check that out again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for the first show of the week. Coming up next, we're going to go into pop culture for a bit. We're going to talk to the Sky Guys on Wednesday. Nick Freya, Pete Conso, we're going to recap the premiere of the Book of Boa Fett. That's coming up then. Until then, have a better week than Giants fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.